Hey everyone, welcome to a podcast for moms. I'm your host, Julia Sparkman. If this is your first time listening, and it might be since this is episode number two, um, either way, thank you so much for listening. I'm so excited to have you here with us today, and I'm very excited for today's guest, Krista Janine. If you're unfamiliar with Krista, Krista is a yoga and fitness professional, a life coach, a model, and a very influential activist. She curates private classes, guided meditations, corporate services, retreats, and programs, and her offerings are specifically a space where fitness and social justice meet. In addition to all the incredible work she's doing to create opportunities for emotional and physical growth and equity and inclusion in the health and wellness space, Krista is also a mom. And it was really important to me to have Krista as one of the first guests on a podcast for moms because she majorly shifted a paradigm for me back when we first meet. And I tell that story during the conversation. So I'll let you hear more about that then. However, Krista is just a very impressive individual and I had to release a solo episode for a variety of reasons, which came out today as well. And within that episode, I share a bit about what I learned from recording with Krista, specifically why recording with her triggered me a little bit. Like while we were having our conversation, I was starting to feel really uncomfortable. And that discomfort was coming from the place of comparison. Krista has more or less done everything differently from me in in particular in the beginning because I'm only about two years into mothering now and Krista's nine years in so initially and and she shares about how you know her first year started out with her son um, our experiences were just so wildly different and at first I was like I made literally totally different decisions than her and at first that made me uncomfortable and then I re-listened to the conversation and I was like, damn, because I learned so much from what she said. And from that first me getting uncomfortable and then re-listening to the conversation, I was like, oh my goodness, like this is literally why I wanted to do a podcast for moms in the first place. I want to highlight the diverse experiences that we have within motherhood and there's literally no right or wrong way. And I got so much from Krista and and what she said and and her experiences specifically around creating boundaries. She said that, you know, if she doesn't teach her son boundaries, then how is he going to know how to have boundaries in future relationships? And after she said that, I was like, whoa. And, you know, my daughter, she's almost two. So we don't have a lot of opportunity right now for boundaries, but even after after I re-listened to our conversation, I was like, yo, there are changes you can be making right now. There a lot of times if I'm hungry or needing to take a break, I will override my own personal needs to meet the needs of Sloan. And I realized that at times Sloan's needs were more of desires than actual needs. And my needs were real needs and I started shifting things and it's been incredible to see how well she's responded and how much more resourced I am as a parent and a woman just from listening to Chris's conversation and I was like 
yes, this is exactly why I wanted to do this. So moms can learn from each other. So thank you so much, Krista. You literally changed me and the way that I parent and how I show up. So, ooh. And there's so much more goodness in today's episode. Krista is going to inspire you to ask for help more often. And she is going to remind you that you are your children's first and greatest teacher. You know, not just what you're saying out loud, but what you're doing in your life and how you're acting and how you're showing up. And I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Let's just jump right in. Welcome, Krista. Thank you so much for joining us on a podcast for moms. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you. So a little backstory for our listeners. Krista and I met in Chicago in 2012. We're both currently in Southern California, two different cities, though. I'm in San Diego. Krista's up in LA. And we completed our first yoga teacher training program together in Chicago. And you, Krista, you had your son not too long after we completed our training. So you've more or less been a mom a majority of the time I've known you. And I wanted to share something with you and with our listeners to get us started. Um, You really helped to shift a paradigm for me. So about a decade ago, I think Chris is what, nine years old now? He's eight. Yeah. Okay. So about yeah, eight years old when you had Chris, um, everyone that I knew that got pregnant in college or graduate school, they all moved back to their hometown and stopped pursuing the path that they had been on before they had their baby. And from my perspective, it seems like you did the exact opposite. So you had your son and your life continued to accelerate in really powerful ways. And from the outside, from where I was sitting, it felt like motherhood just propelled you to pursue your dreams with a greater tenacity. I mean, when I met you before you were pregnant, you were like real go-getter, but then you got pregnant and it was like, bam, you started doing even more. So that was huge for me to see that. I was like, wow, like, look at this woman, just completely unstoppable. So you can kind of get into all of that in terms of who you are as a person in a moment. But I would like for you to start from the beginning of your mom journey. Can you um, share with us what you were up to before you got pregnant and what shifted for you during your pregnancy and that first year as a new mom? Yeah. So it's so funny you say that because, like, I'm, like, getting teary-eyed thinking about it because you're right. Like, everyone I knew to that point also, if they got pregnant and they weren't married and, like, the guy wasn't really involved, they did. They just went back home. And everybody was telling me, like, oh, just go back home for a little bit and, like, you know, figure it out. And then you can, like, come back and, like, do the stuff that you're doing. Like, even family members. (laughs) And, like, everybody was really, like, sad (laughs) that I was pregnant. And they were like, oh, you know, life is going to be so different now. It's going to be hard. And I was, like, happy. Like, I was like, I'm having a baby. I wanted to be a mom. I had done all the things that everybody told you to do before you have a baby, right? Like, I had a bachelor's degree. I had a master's degree. Like, I had my yoga certification. So an extra something, like, just in case I needed to make money on the side. And the two just didn't correlate for me. I was like, this is stupid, guys. Like, why would I go back to Alabama when my profession is television and film and journalism. And I have a certification in yoga. So like, even if I can't get a job in my field, I can still work. Like it just didn't, it didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think 
for me, that was a moment of like true spiritual growth and just like trusting my intuition. And it's funny because my mother and I had a conversation about this recently because some like a friend of mine just had a baby and she's with the father, but not with the father. And he's driving her crazy because she just had a baby. So postpartum is real, like whatever. But my mom was just like, you know, people shouldn't make like life-changing decisions when they're pregnant because like your hormones are raging, blah, blah. And I was like, I actually made a lot of great decisions for my life and my future while I was pregnant. But it's also because I was happy and I was ready to be a mom. And I felt as though I had lived all the life up until that point that I wanted to live before becoming a mother. And I think that's a lot of people's concern too, is like, oh, what do I have to give up? Or, oh, what am I like, what didn't I get to do before I got to be a parent? And I was like, I had done all the stuff, you know, that I had wanted to do. So me being pregnant and his father not being involved and not wanting to be, you know, a father again, it really made me sit into the mindset of like, okay, Krista, if you really want to do this, like the majority of the time you're going to have to do it by yourself. Like my parents helped out when they could financially or like over the summer, but the majority of the time, like my son was with me. So I really had to figure out a way to one, create my own community and two, create multiple sources of income. So I always knew that we would be okay. And even though it has been hard from time to time, and it always hasn't been like consistent income. It definitely becoming a parent refocused me on my career and what I wanted, but also just refocus me on the type of like life I wanted my child to have. And you're right. Like it definitely sent me into overdrive as in regards to like my career and like really going for my career. Like when Chris was three months old, I went back to school and got another master's because like, and that was a part of the plan, right? I was like, I know if I go back to school and I go to this college in particular, I'll be able to network and meet the people I need to meet. And yeah, because of that, like I ended up working at Harpo and then I ended up working for another production company in Chicago. And then I ended up working at The View and like and moved to California. So that choice was definitely a choice that like I saw long-term, you know, rationale for doing, even though everybody was like, oh, don't do that now. And oh, you know, you'll have time. And hindsight's 2020. And I still, to this day, feel like that was the best decision I could have made because going back to school when your kids are older is actually harder. When your child's a baby, it's hard on you, but they don't know if you're there or not, quite frankly. And I know that sounds bad, but it's like, they don't know that you're spending all these times away from them. They just know that you're present with them when you're with them. But when they get older, they do know that you're doing other things and you're not with them. So I do, I always encourage people like, yeah, go back to school when your kid's little, because even though it's going to be extremely hard on you and it's going to be extremely like emotional and it's going to be draining, et cetera, et cetera, it's going to be better for your kid in the long run because you're not going to have to do all that stuff while you're also trying to raise them and they're aware and conscious of what's going on and you're not around and all the other things. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's so interesting because I did, I like, was arguing with people most of the time while I was pregnant about like the decisions I was making and why I was doing the stuff I was doing and like why I was so happy. But that was like a really pivotal moment in my spiritual journey. Like I said, of like just trusting my intuition. I knew what I was doing was right. And I knew what I was doing was going to lead me down a path that I wanted to live in. And, and it definitely has, and it definitely, you know, has paid off tenfold for the stress and sacrifice of the moment. Um, and it's, it's a, 
it's a nice place to sit because it's very empowering to not care what other people think, especially about your parenting. Like, because I could care less (laughs) if anybody agrees with how I'm raising my kid. (laughs) So I do want to get into your parenting philosophy, but first I want to clear up a couple of things and ask a couple of questions. So one thing that we talked about before we press record is you're a single mom and Chris's father is not in the picture. So when baby Chris was very young, you did not have family close by in Chicago. And is that correct? Right? Yeah. Yeah, Yep. 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 So you were really like solo parenting in a very major way. So a couple of the questions I have is, who was helping you in the beginning? Because you did go back to school early on. And and one question I want to ask is I had tremendous postpartum anxiety. Just leaving the house was challenging for me, just like walking out the door. So when I hear you say things like, oh, at three months I went back to school, I'm just like mind blown. So I know there's other moms that are listening that probably had a similar experience. And then there's moms that are listening that are like high-fiving you like, hell yeah, same thing. Like, you know, was out there getting after right after I had my yeah. kids. So can you kind of talk through how for moms that are maybe back in that space where you were when you, when baby Chris was little, how did you make that happen? How did you um, find the resources to make sure that Chris had what he needed? And then you also had what you needed to pursue that second master's degree. Yeah, I think it's so um, my life is very interesting. I, I will say that. And things seemingly just work out for me. And I know that's what it looks like from the outside, right? It's like, oh, like <laughs> things just work out for Krista. But I think a lot of it is just like the way I live my life. Like I had college friends that, you know, Chris was the first baby in our group. So a lot of them would help out and watch Chris. I had... um a lot of people, like as Chris got older, I would meet through his school or I would meet through like, you know, friends of friends who would offer to help because they did see all the things that I was doing. And people did see like that I was working really hard and there were a lot of things going on in my life all the time. And it did. It seemed like I had it all together. And like, for the most part, I definitely did. But because of how I operate, people just always wanted to help. So a lot of people did just help out with Chris. If I need somebody to watch him because I had class, you know, in the evening, they would watch him. If I needed somebody to watch him because I was teaching, you know, they would watch him and people would offer to help and offer to watch or watch. And a lot of like outside support came through because people really did just want to help um, because they saw like slowly, but surely people started to see the vision that I was living in. Um, and then what also, what was that vision that you had? Well, just that I didn't necessarily want to give up on my dreams to like, just cause I was a mother. Right. And I didn't want to feel like I had to, <laughs> like, I had to like relinquish something in order to be a good parent or that, you know, I didn't deserve to like get a break cause I was a single parent. Cause for a while that was the mindset I was living in is because, you know, like I made this choice to be a single parent. I knew his father didn't necessarily want another kid and I knew he would be difficult in the process for more or less. And I was creating this life for me and my kid to like live and be happy and, and sustain a life that was, you know, durable for us long run. And 
And people get that. And I think originally, like initially when people would meet me, they wouldn't know I had a kid. And then I would mention like, oh yeah, I have a kid. And it would kind of like blow their mind of because of all the stuff I was doing that I was also a parent and a single parent at that. And like I said, because of that, a lot of people just wanted to help in any way that they could. Um, And then, you know, twofold, it's like, because I was a single parent and in school and like not working that much, at, like teaching yoga, I was on like government assistant for assistance for a while. But another thing people don't understand about that is like, I had to work like a minimum like number of hours or else I wouldn't get government assistance because I had a bachelor's degree already and you only get assistance for childcare if you're going back to school to get a bachelor's. And I don't think people realize that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, there's so much in the process or even like in that it's like, but you can't work too much because then you'll make too much and you won't be able to get assistance with your care. So there are a lot of things to manage and like, there were a lot of things to juggle, but because I was a very resourceful person, I figured out how to juggle all of those things. And Chris went to a very good like daycare. And like I said, people helped and like, there was a lot of external support just because of the community I had created through college and through yoga. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting to see. And it's also interesting to see who helps and who doesn't. And I think even though I don't bring it up now, cause I don't feel like necessarily anybody owes me anything. Like it's definitely in the back of my head, like who, who really did support me in those early years, especially with Chris and like being in a different city, you know, or even relocating from Chicago to New York. It's just like, you see who actually like is there for you and who's just looking to see if you're going to (laughs) fail. And that's the thing. Like some people really are just looking to see if you're going to fail and they're not going to help. And they're not actually concerned. They're just looking to see like what's not going right. And it blows their mind when you're like, Nope, we're actually good, but thanks for stopping by. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, I mean, I think, and then even to the point of like, how was I able to like leave Chris at three months? I think for me, it's like, I'm definitely a big picture thinker and like a long-term person. And like I said, even though it sucked for me, he, he didn't necessarily get it. And I will say this, and I, and I always tell moms this too, when they ask like, should I put my kid in daycare versus not, I do feel like him going to daycare at such an early age made it an easier transition. It made him more sociable. It made him understand how to interact with people outside of like mommy's being here. And it just made him see the world differently because even like while we were still in Chicago and other kids would come in who had been at home with their parents for like two and three years, it's so hard for the kids at that point to disassociate from their parents. Um, even when we were in New York and like you have four year olds who had never gone to school before, but now they're school age, it's harder for them to transition because they do want the comfort of being at home and being with a loved one, you know, whether it's their mom or their dad or their grandparent. And it makes the transition a little harder for the kid. And honestly for the parent, cause like your kid's like screaming and yelling and you're like, Oh, I'm a bad parent. But the younger they are, I think it, the transition is a little easier just from what I've seen, like throughout the years of like being with Chris and seeing how other kids have transitioned in and out of like school. Oh yeah. I mean, Sloan, she was six months old when the lockdown happened. And so she didn't get her first baby <laughs> until she was a year old. And yeah. for about a month, 
I would say I was around more than 50% of the time when the babysitter was there. So now she's fine to have separation between me and her. It did take a while. And yeah, on a podcast for moms, this is going to be one of our first episodes. So I really want to highlight all different types of experiences. And I'm so happy for you to share that because I know there's going to be a lot of new moms that are going to feel apprehensive about leaving their baby. And I know moms that their kid is about to start kindergarten and they've been with them the whole time. So there's just such a different um, scope of experiences out there. So I appreciate you sharing your positive experience with that. And you had said a moment ago about how you people were waiting for you to fail, particularly with all the different moves that you had. And I know this because I've followed your journey, but you started with Chris in Chicago, you went to New York, and then you are now out in LA. So that's a, a pretty, you know, that's a lot of moves for a single mom in, in eight years. And you did mention, you know, people were waiting for you to fail, but you haven't failed. So I would love to hear what went well for you and how as a mom with a young child, you were able to manage those big moves. Cause you know, Chicago to even New York is a big move, but New York to LA, that's, that's a pretty huge shift in culture and experience. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. And I think, I mean, my, my parents have helped out a lot, especially with the transitioning. Cause like I said, every summer, Chris would go to Alabama. So most of the time I would move in it to like, to wherever during the time he was gone. But the transition from New York to Chicago is very interesting because I had to like be in New York in a week. I had to like kind of close down shop at my apartment in East Chicago and like move to New York and figure out things from there. But once again, it's like so many people were helping with that transition, like from my property manager to, you know, my mom coming back to Chicago to get Chris to my son's godfather and one of my friends, actually a few of my friends, like helping me pack up my apartment. Like so many people like gave me money to move because I didn't like get any per diem or anything to move. Um, But the transition to New York was definitely a hard one for me. I don't think it was necessarily hard for Chris per se, because like he was so young. It was hard for me just because New York is so expensive. Like there were a lot of things that I just had to figure out on the fly. And then my job was extremely demanding and kind of stressful. So it was like New York. I hated New York while I was in New York until the very end. And then my contract with the show I was working on ended. So I was like, F it, I'm leaving. Like, I don't even care that I might like it here because I I didn't want to get stuck. So I think that transition um, was probably the hardest. But moving from New York to LA, it definitely had its struggles, but it was a little easier because once again, Christopher's godfather like came and like helped me pack up my apartment. We drove cross country together and like stopped along the way. You know, I stayed with my brother for about a month when I first moved out here. I had a job like within the first week. So once again, going along this pattern of my life where people are like, it just seems like things work out for you. Um, But I think it's like the preparation of the life I've lived is why things seemingly work out. Right. It's like I have all this back like story. Right. I have all of this history. I have all these things to pull from. So when I am transitioning, I know what to pull from during the process, you know, because sometimes you do have to swallow your pride and ask for help. Sometimes you have to, you know, do things you don't necessarily want to do for, you know, 
an end to meet, so a means to meet an end. And I think a lot of people don't want to do that. And I don't have a problem like not getting my way for a short amount of time if I know that long term this is going to be the best outcome. And I think as a society, we've lost sight of that. It's like everybody wants everything right now and nobody's willing to have a short term loss for a long term gain. And that's what's missing like holistically in society, not even just in parenting, not even just career wise, but sometimes you got to lose a little bit in order to like really gain and get to where you're going. And I think that's been my philosophy throughout my adulthood, but especially as a parent, it's like, you know, sometimes you don't want to do things. And sometimes you're like, okay, I can make this happen. Cause even with the transition from New York to Chicago to New York, I let Chris stay with my parents for like, I don't know, maybe six months. When I moved to California, I was like, nope, he's coming out here like when he would normally come back and we'll figure it out from there. Um, And that was important for me because I feel like when he was with my parents in Alabama and I was in New York, it was just like it was a weird disconnect and I didn't want to do that again. So it's also learning from like past experiences and figuring out how you want to kind of transition into things moving forward. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely been a lot of work. Like I I don't want anybody to think like, Oh, it was super, super easy. No, it's definitely been work and like a lot of strategic planning and figuring out how to make things work. Um, but I think holistically just once again, trusting your intuition and trusting the path that you're on, um, makes it easier. Yeah. A couple of things I wanted to speak to from what you said is I feel like in our society, we do not have the support systems that are necessary to parent well and to not break the parent. And even though you're a single mom, what I've heard from what you've said so far, I feel like you have just as much, if not more support than a lot of parents who are together in the same household. And that sounds huge in terms of how you've been able to navigate the experience that you've had moving and continuing to move forward in your career. And I was curious if you could share one example of a short-term loss for the long-term gain, just so we have, you know, like a contextualized experience, because I, I think that's so important is that we all want everything right now and we don't have that long-term perspective. Could you share a story that you've been able to work with within that um, mindset? Yeah. I mean, going back to school, that was definitely a short-term loss. Like, because I couldn't, going back to school was a short-term loss for a few reasons. It was a financial setback for me personally, um, because I had to get a little bit of a student loan, right? It was also a setback in my career because I had my own business already, but I decided that I was going to go back to school and get a traditional job so I could have benefits and all the things. Um, And even though it sucked in the moment, it was extremely stressful. And like, when I tell you, I never wanted anything to end so badly (laughs) in my life. Like that second master's degree was probably one of the most difficult things I ever did because on top of like being a single parent and like whatever else, I just was just frustrated with the program I was in. There were so many things that I was like, this is a waste of time, but hindsight, right. It's like, 
I definitely needed that second master's. And I tell people this all the time. It's like, it helped shift the trajectory of our lives. Like, had I not gone back to school to get that second master's, I wouldn't have got my internship at Windy City. I wouldn't have worked at Harpo Studios. I wouldn't have worked at The View. Like, there's so many things that just would not have happened had I not gone back to school. What was Even your first masters, and then what was your second masters? Just so easy. yeah. So my first masters was in production, and my second masters mm-hmm. was in print journalism. Okay. Yeah. So, and which is why, like, I ended up working for Harpo, and why I ended up working at the View because I had that background in production and in journalism, um, which a lot of people don't have for whatever reason. So it it definitely helped you know, set me apart. And it also just gave me a lot more perspective. And like I said, a lot more things to pull from, like, because of the life I've lived, I have a lot of resources to pull from that help make things easier in the long run. Um, But I mean, yeah, and that's, that's one example. I think another example is like my transition into like influencer life, for lack of a better term. Um, When I decided to kind of pursue this, it was all at my own cost, right? It was all on my own dime. Like I still had a job for a little bit, but then like, I think my last position um, at Snapchat ended like in June. So a lot of the stuff that I was doing and building after that, I didn't necessarily have like an additional income to build. I ended up getting into debt because of it. And, you know, there was a lot of cost on my end, but now, you know, it's coming back tenfold. And even in the partnerships I have, even in, you know, the brand deals I work with, like there's a point where you say, okay, I'll do this for free for, you know, for however long you feel like you need to do it. But then like now I'm at a space where I'm like, oh no, this is my rate. This is how much I charge. So I feel like we don't do that. Like a lot of us don't want to just say, okay, I'll do it for free. Or a lot of people just want to be influencers and do it for free forever. And we don't, we don't talk about the transition. Right. Um, Cause Let's even with parenting. Yeah. yeah go ahead. You, Cause you said you left your last, like, I don't want to say like stable, but you know, your last like corporate job. And then you said, June, yeah. so I'm guessing that's June, 2020. Right. Yeah, so exactly. So it's been of, yeah, exactly. Okay. So you left that and I'm sure as a mom, that was tough. Cause I'm guessing you had benefits or it was just more stable of income coming in consistently. Exactly. So can you speak to, I did read an article that you said with the support of your friends, you left to start your own business. And that is, you know, doing the influencing, um, for other brands. And then you also have your own business that you have as well. So can you talk through how that transition went and, and how it's going for you right now? Yeah. So I think it's like, so here's the thing. It was hard. Right. And I'm never, I'm not going to set anybody else up to think like, oh, it's so easy. And like, you can just do it. No, it definitely takes planning and it probably takes more planning than what I put into it. Cause sometimes I just like leap and do stuff. Um, but my job at Snapchat was only a year contract. I had no desire to extend that contract past a year. And I think every, like, it was just a good transition out. Like, I love the team I worked with. I love the job, but it was like perfect for a year. So honestly, like financially, Chris and I were a little like not okay for a while. Um, So I was driving Lyft and I was doing like my own business, like we said, and I was starting to like build up momentum with brands and like, you know, 
figuring out how to transition into that. But like I said, I had a lot of debt because of it. But what has transpired, and even like, and I'll I'll bring this up because I think this is a big point for people to like kind of lean into is so in December we had a like a massive fire. Um we lost everything in the apartment fire. But because of that fire, our financial life got a lot better. And I'm gonna be very frank. And I know people are like, what do you mean? Like, you know, but because of the time of year it is, and like I'm a very logical person. Like I'm not somebody that thinks like hocus pocus things happen. Because it was a week before Christmas, it was actually the week of Christmas, because of the life that we had lived and all the like different spaces I had interacted with. So many people like were trying to help financially. So many people were helping us rebuild like by donating clothes and some people like, you know, gave us like, you know, kitchen utensils and like everything we needed was provided for us, whether it be financial, physical, emotional, spiritual, like what have you. And then on top of that, I had renter's insurance. So it's like that, like bad situation actually set us up so much better on the other side of it. And I've been talking about this like on and off for a while. Like I don't really mention it that much anymore because I think people forget that that just happened six months ago. But so often in life, we are like praying for things or we're trying to manifest things or we want the universe to bless us with the things that we want in life. And we're not willing to like legitimately sacrifice for those things. Like, and I tell people, it's like, what are you willing to lose in order to gain what you're asking for? And so often people don't ask themselves that question. Right. It's like, no, I just want this. Like, I don't want to have to lose anything. I just want the stuff I want. But I can say for myself, like, had I not sat in that space of loss and been open to what the future held and had I been sad or bitter or like, you know, pissed off, like the outcome would have been so drastically different. But because I went into it from a mindset of understanding, like, this is happening for a reason, you know, and, and you don't have to know the reason all the time. And once again, I think we want the answers because that's just how we're programmed, right? It's like, figure out the answer, figure out the hypothesis, like blah, blah, blah. But sometimes you don't need to know why, right? You don't need to understand why these circumstances have happened, why this bad situation happened, but you have to be open to like whatever's coming next and you have to prepare yourself for what's coming next. And I think we don't give ourselves the space for that. And I'm going to be quite frank, like from a financial standpoint, had that not happened, maybe Chris and I would be back in Alabama right now full time. Like, I don't know, because financially it was extremely difficult. And I was just working so hard and so exhausted all the time that it wasn't sustainable. So, you know, and I think that though, like I said, it was a traumatic thing, a horrible thing. It actually happened for a very good reason. And it definitely set us up in a space where I have the financial freedom now to make choices that I want to make. I have the financial freedom to like do what I want with my son and, and, you know, continue his education where it is. And, and I'm not in debt. Like I have like maybe $500 of credit card debt right now in my car note. Right. But before, like when I say I had a massive amount of debt, it was ridiculous. So yeah, I, I think that is also such an important note that some people miss. It's like, 
even with parenting, even with all the like crappy thing that ha- things that happen, both as a parent and like just to you, you have to find purpose in it. And I don't think we often give ourselves space to find purpose in it. We just want to be like sad. Yeah. And I think the undercurrent of your story so far is along the way, you've been so open to receiving support that that's just a natural channel that's constantly coming in. Whereas I think a lot of people, not just moms, are not open to allowing other people in to help them, particularly in vulnerable times. And that's something that I've heard you say over and over again as I was at this juncture in my life and this person came in and this person came in and this person came in. So you have that pathway built within you already of, okay, here I am. This is tough. Now, like, where can I receive? And that's such a beautiful aspect of your story is being open to receiving. And it's something that I'm like, all right, like I got to put that out there. Like I don't have to do it all myself. Cause I think sometimes the story of single motherhood is like, look at me, I've done it all alone. And I haven't heard you say that. Like, yeah, I'm sure at times it felt like you were doing it all by yourself, but what I've heard in the the story that you shared so far is like, yes, I wanted to stay true to my vision and I wanted to keep going. And I did that by allowing other people into my life to help us propel us forward. Yeah. And I think it's so important even for kids to understand the value of like other people, like so often as a society. And I don't even know why this is like, I feel like it's very much like, an American cultural thing because in other, you know, cultures, like everyone really does like, you know, raise children and everyone is involved in children's life. And I just feel like, and this is a decision I made when I was pregnant with my child is to be very specific about the friends I kept and the company I kept. And like, even if I did have issues with my family, because I have my own issues with my family that are mine and mine alone is like, I didn't want to put that on him. And I didn't want that to be his story. And I wanted him to have his own relationships with my parents and his own relationship with my brothers and like my friends and even his father, like, like if that, you know, were to ever occur in like a healthy, you know, way. So I think for me, and, and this is something that I've seen become a challenge for other parents, not even just mothers is like understanding that your child is like not your property and understanding that your child is not actually an extension of you, but they're their own person. And they are allowed to have their own relationships with people outside of you has really helped me like, in my parenting, but it's also helped me receive help because honestly, before I was a parent, I never wanted help. I was like, I can do it by myself. I didn't want to owe anybody anything, like et cetera, et cetera. But being a parent really opened up my mind to the reality of like, you know, we all need help. You can't do life by yourself. That's not how we were created as people. And it's unrealistic. And it's not fun. Like, <laughs> and I mean, like if you just think about it from like a standpoint of we're made to socialize with other human beings and you want your kid to be a well-rounded human, like why would you deprive them of interactions with other people? And if people want to help you and if you need help, and that's, that was a big source of like growth for me is like letting go of my pride and my ego and being like, okay, I can't do this by myself. Like I do need somebody to help. Um, And that's just been a journey for me. Like as a parent, but also as a person, like it's hard for me to ask for help sometimes, but like, I'm also, like I said, a logical person. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I need help because I can't do this. So. Yeah. 
And I want to switch gears just a little bit for the sake of time and because yeah. um, I really want to talk about this. So you started a business on your own and went completely on your own in, in 2020. At the same time that you started your own business, that was at the height of when the global uprising of a social justice movement started to take off and you were really involved in that too and you had a young son that was reflective of what was happening so Chris is a young black boy and you're a black mother and so you're having to navigate now an entirely different layer of conversation at home that you're also having a conversation with adults in real life so how have you navigated um, moving through the black lives matter movement with Chris as you've been pioneering um the movement of black lives online and in yeah you know it's it's interesting because I know I just said like our kids aren't like our property but it it's funny because our kids do reflect who we are and I think that well I mean one my my mother has always been like very pro-black like I've never wanted to be other anything other than a black woman. And I feel like my brothers like feel the same way. It's like, we never felt bad about being black. We've always taken pride in like our blackness. We've never tried to like hide it or tone it down. But I do feel like, you know, with our kids, because we do sit in a place of privilege just because of our education and our careers, um, we had a conversation probably, and it wasn't just me, it was my, my brother and other like industry professionals, um, like media industry professionals. And we all had kids and we were kind of trying to figure out like the space that we were creating for our kids. And Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade talked about this too, creating privileged black kids, like, like, you know, parenting them is hard because I remember when I originally had this conversation with Chris, he was like, it didn't compute. Right. He was like, you know, I'm like, yeah, just because you're black or because of the color of your skin, like people are going to treat you a certain way and people are going to think like you're this, that, and the other. And he is like, but I'm not, like, it doesn't make sense. And like the world he lives in, right? The bubble we've created for our kids, it doesn't make sense in that bubble. But I think the biggest thing for all of us is like understanding and not even just in, in regards to like blackness, but just understanding as parents, you're raising your kids to go out into the world and live life outside of you. And I think so often, especially with younger children, parents aren't thinking about it that way. They aren't thinking about the fact that like, you're going to have to send your children out into this world and the world isn't nice and it's not fair. And there are so many things that are wrong with the world. So you have to prepare your kids to deal with the world that actually exists outside of the bubble you're creating for them. So because of that, I mean, we watched the, the I think it was PBS, where it was Sesame Street and um, the Atlanta mayor and like a few other like people who did the like racism, you know, Sesame Street uh, episode. And there's a book by um, DeVal, oh, what's DeVal's last name? After Ellis and about like why Black Lives Matter and why you have to like say it. And we have a lot of those books about like, you know, why brown skin is beautiful. And like, I even have books about like, you know, fathers and daughters. Like there's one book called like, it's, uh, what's it called? It's about hair. 
it's, and it's a little girl and her dad and her dad is doing her hair. And, you know, and at the end of the story, he's just telling her how beautiful her hair is and et cetera, et cetera. Because I feel like all of these things like sprinkled in throughout childhood do create kids who are well-versed in their culture. They create kids who are, you know, able to articulate why certain things are wrong with the world. They're able to say, hey, that's not right. And I know that's not right because of X, Y, and Z. But they're also able to like take pride in who they are. And there's so many tools out there now. And there's so many avenues and conversations you can have. Because um, recently, Chris <laughs> Chris asked me, because my mom is like very, very fair. He was like, oh, well, is Nana Black? And I'm like, yeah, she's black or whatever. He's like, well, she looks like Jaden and Jaden, his friend, who's like Ecuadorian. And there's, I mean, they have the same like complexion, like let's just call a spade a spade. So then that kind of led into the conversation of like colonization and slavery and why, you know, black people come in different shades, but it's, it's being open to have those conversations with your kids. And I feel like a lot of people are afraid to have those conversations but in not having those conversations, just think about how much of a disservice you're doing to your kid. Like, it's just, for me, it's irresponsible as a parent to like, just ignore things. Like kids are curious for a reason and the world looks a very specific way because of our history and to ignore it or to try to make it seem like they're crazy for asking the questions that they're asking, which most of the time kids ask very valid questions. It's just like not the type of parent that I ever wanted to be. Yeah, and I 100% agree of any time a child asks a question to give them the most truthful, age-appropriate response versus like, oh, we'll talk about it someday or, yeah, you know, providing an answer that isn't directly answering whatever the question may be. And um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that because that was a, you know, the, the intersect of that time of starting your own business. And at the same time, you really started speaking up about um, social justice issues specifically in the health and wellness space. And I'm sure that was a lot of energy that you were putting out there. And I want to ask a question around energy specifically in motherhood. Yeah. How do you keep your cup filled? So in the Voyage LA interview that you did a couple years ago, um, you mentioned that, you know, you have to be present for all the aspects of your life and you try to tap into your creativity and try not to overparent. And at times it can be overwhelming. So how are you today? I don't like to use the word balance, but how are you navigating, you know, being a mom during a pandemic, during a really heightened time in the world, starting your own business, being, you know, incredibly vocal in challenging conversations how do you then just be Krista and make sure that Krista has what she needs at the end of the day to keep all those other things that you have going going yeah it's you know it's so interesting too because I (laughs) I had I I think I posted this on Instagram recently aware um one of my friends, like I was talking to her on FaceTime and I had said something in front of Chris and she was like, I don't know if this is an appropriate conversation to have in front of Chris. And I was like, he's fine. Like, you know, I have to censor myself 99% of the time when I'm with my kid, like he's watching TV, quite frankly, he doesn't even know what we're talking about. And, you know, I don't need you to censor me in that space. And I think it's just being very much so aware of what you need and like, 
saying, okay, I'm not just a parent. Like I, I was a person before I had my kid and I'm still a person now, but even with him, it's like, you know, if I need to go take a bath or if I want to go to the pool, you know, and sit in the jacuzzi by myself, like you can watch TV and hang out or you can come and do your work by the pool. Or even like this summer, he didn't necessarily want to stay with my parents. Like as long as like we had both originally agreed, And I'm just like, you know, no, like I need a break. I need a vacation. Like you are fine, you know? And I get like, he misses like me and he misses like his puppy or whatever. But I think it's being okay with saying, this is what I need and you're okay. And we don't do that with our kids. And I was on another podcast recently and I was telling um, the person like, we don't teach our children boundaries with us. And then we think when they get in relationships with their friends or in like romantic relationships, they're automatically just going to understand boundaries. And your kids learn everything first from you. (laughs) You know, it's like, if you're not dying, if this is not an emergency and I'm doing something, you don't need me right now. Like go sit down. You're okay. And I feel like people don't say that enough to their kids. Like you're okay. There's nothing wrong with you. Especially like Chris is eight. Yeah. He is very like, self-sufficient. Two-year-old. So it's a little bit different, but I 100% yeah. agree, like getting them to that exactly. spot for sure. And, and, it, and it's small, it's small increments. Cause like Chris has always been a relatively independent kid and very self-sufficient, but the stuff that he does now, I would not have expected him to do it too. But because we've been learning, right. Cause like, that's the whole point. It's like, you're raising your kid to essentially be completely independent of you. It's a process, but you can't start it when they turn 16 and think by the time they're 18, they're going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> So you brought up relationships and that's actually a question that I had for you. Um, You've spoken a lot through this conversation and different things that I read on your Instagram and interviews that you've done that you um, talk about how much support you have and how important relationships are to you. So um, what has it been like to be a single mom, dating, having friends? What has that experience been like over the years? So dating for me has always been very interesting, even before I was a parent, because I don't necessarily enjoy dating. I'm like, it's just like so much work. And like, (laughs) especially recently, and I will say this, because this is like a new epiphany for me, like probably in the past six months or so, where it's like, I'm so happy and at peace with my life and the life that we live that I'm not even necessarily that interested in dating right now. Like I'll entertain it here and there if I feel like the person is like worth my time. But outside of that, I haven't necessarily pursued it a lot because I have been focusing on parenting and I have been focusing on my career and I have been focused on my friends. And I feel like for me, my friends are like a large part of my life that I do enjoy dedicating my time to. And we have great times together and like, you know, that fulfillment that you get from friendships that you don't even necessarily get from like a significant other all the time is some of like, those are my top priorities. So I don't necessarily date often, but I do make it a priority to like talk to my friends on a regular basis. Like I have, you know, three or four friends in particular that I talk to every day and Chris knows, you know, I'm talking to them. Sometimes he'll talk to them, but that's the time where like, mommy is like doing her own thing and spending time with her friends. Um, Or even like my friends here, you know, now that the world is opening back up, it's like, he'll come to brunch with us and he'll, you know, and engage for a little bit. And then he'll do his own thing on his tablet or his phone or whatever. 
So once again, it's just creating those boundaries. It's creating that space um, to say, this is mommy's time. Like you get to spend time with your friends, you get your play dates and so do I. So I think that's really what it is. But as far as dating goes, it's like, it's, it's hard for me to date because like I said, I'm at such a space that I'm so content with my life that it's like you, I, I'm so protective of my peace as well that if I feel like you're going to interrupt or disrupt rather my peace, I don't allow you in my space. And I can tell really like early on whether or not you're going to be an annoyance or like a a benefit to my life. And I don't, I don't entertain it. So it's, yeah. So that's, that's how dating's going. Um, (laughs) But yeah. (laughs) Well, I also love that because I find so much like I am married. I'm married, right? If I wasn't married, who knows what would be happening in my life. I do find so many people putting such focus on that significant other romantic relationship when it's the other relationships in our lives that bring our lives so much meaning. And I think it's so great. Like everything that you said, it's the wholeness within. That's what it takes to have a true strong relationship with anyone, whether it be friendship or platonic. So it sounds like you're in a good place with relationships and, and yeah. dating or not dating. And yeah, have you had other yeah I've dated yeah Yeah, I have none of them ever met Chris though because I think I I am very yeah I am very protected of of him and like the only person he's ever seen me with in like a romantic like space is his father um and unless I'm gonna date somebody seriously like that's fine but at the same time I'm I'm more interested in him seeing like healthy relationships um than mommy just like dating all these random dudes so I have dated like I'm not gonna act like I've just not been dating for the past eight years that's not even like realistic but you know none of them have ever met Chris and Chris like doesn't know who they are um one way or another but um yeah I just and that's like a personal choice and I never like would tell somebody what to do or what not to do in that regard. Cause I think it's a case by case scenario, but for me, because I am so particular about what I want and I'm very clear on what I want, I wouldn't introduce somebody to Chris unless I knew 100% like we're going to get married and be together. It's just not, it's just, it's just not how I operate. So yeah. But I mean, I always support women and airmen who date and just make good choices for your kids. <laughs> Definitely. I was I was just curious. I thought maybe you could offer some advice in terms of introductions. I had a very different experience growing up where I met, you know, my mom did get married multiple times and it's tough to be a kid and meet your parents' other person. And so, you know, sounds like a good thing going for you too. Yeah. And that's the thing for me too, is because I had seen it a lot growing up and I know how it impacted my friends. I was like, yeah. And unless I know this is my forever person, I wouldn't introduce him to to Chris. Yeah. So I I have one more question for you to wrap up and it's something that I took from your website, but we're going to kind of flip it around and make it about motherhood. All right. So on your website, it says growth should be the goal, not perfection. And without failure, there's no growth. How have you, and I'm saying air quotes, how have you failed as a mother? And how has that failure turned into an opportunity for growth for both for you as a mom and then you as a woman too? Yeah. So I think um, 
some of the points throughout parenthood that I, I not even necessarily wish I could change, but definitely were points of like, maybe you didn't handle that appropriately, um, is with my son's father. I feel like I allowed him to enter into our space. That was a, like a safe space and a, a space that was, you know, very structured and like very healthy. Um, and I would allow him just come and go as he pleased for so, so long because I was still in love with him. And I thought eventually he would like become an adult, you know, and like do the things that he needed to do to, to be a, a family unit. And I feel like in the process of that, I've had to reteach Chris a lot of things about what, you know, the goal in life should be, right? Because recently we had a conversation. He was like, well, I don't want to get married. I want to be like you and like just be, you know, single or whatever. And I was like, well, you know, like having a partner can be good if it's the person you're supposed to be with. And like, you know, and giving him like tangible examples of that, whether it be my brother or my parents or, you know, his uncles and aunts that are like my friends through, you know, the years. And it's just being like at that space of being like, okay, you know, this is what I did. This is what your father and I did. Um, But, you know, that's not necessarily the goal for you. And I think, like I said, for so long, just giving his father so much freedom and leeway because I didn't want to be like that bad, you know, baby mama that didn't let him see his kid and that didn't do X, I, and Z. And I had to really have a a come to Jesus moment with myself and just be honest with the fact that he was not capable to parent the way in which I would ever feel like is a good parenting style for my son and also not what, you know, he deserves. And I think that's something that as women, we get so wrapped up in of not trying to be the bad baby mama and you don't want to like keep your kids from their father. But honestly, sometimes it's more of a hindrance to your child to force their other parent to be a part of their lives when they are not capable, when they don't have the desire to really do it. And a lot of times I feel like in my case, it's performative. It's not even like you're actually interested in what's happening in our child's life. It's like you're doing it just to say you did it, which kids pick up on, you know what I mean? And and you don't want your child to feel like they have to completely accommodate somebody that's supposed to love them and supposed to be there for them because then you're creating unhealthy patterns in their relationships in the future, right? Or you're showing them that it's okay for like a man to treat a woman like this or a man to not be involved in their kids' lives. Like that's what you're showing them, whether you realize it or not. And you have to ask yourself, is that the picture that I want my kid to like live in. And I think for me, it took me a long time to get to the space of being like, this doesn't have anything to do with me and his father. This has to do with how I'm raising my kid and what I want him to actually be when he becomes an adult, which is why I filed for sole custody recently is because I wanted to take that, that out of the equation completely almost. Um, because like I said, his father would just come in when he felt like it and do what he wanted when he felt like it and disappear. But he still had all these rights to our son. And I was like, you no longer get the right to do whatever you want. If you want some rights, then either you're going to have to contest me, which he didn't, 
Or, you know, you're going to have to ask me what is beneficial for us in this situation. And for so like for seven years, I wouldn't do that. And finally, recently, like of like June 1st is when like I got full custody, but we filed in January. But yeah, so that's what I would say has been the biggest growth as a woman and as a parent of being like, you don't have the capacity to love us in the way that you should um, or that we deserve. And because of that, I'm about to like create a safe space for us to exist in. That's so powerful. I mean, <laughs> it's like we want to give our parent the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, I, I 100% agree with what you said, that sometimes that parent can't show up in a way that what I'm speaking from experience will teach the kid in the future, like what it looks like to be loved, what it looks like to have healthy boundaries, what it looks like to show up as a true real parent. And I commend you and I, you know, have so much respect for you for giving Chris and yourself that space to have the safety and the love that you've created for, for you and for Chris. And last question, Krista, which kind of goes along with that (laughs) is, um, what makes you a great mom? Um, I think I try my best to be honest with my kid um, and try not to make certain things a big deal Uh, and things that I feel like other people do make a big deal. So example would be um, we watch black lightning on CW and I don't know if anybody else is a DC comic geek. It's like, it's a show about this black superhero family, whatever. Um, And the oldest daughter is a lesbian. She's married and like, they have a beautiful relationship. Love to see it. Um, but one episode they kissed and like, and then like another episode, like they got married or something. He was like, what? Like girls kissing girls. And I was like, yeah, sometimes. And then I was like, yeah. And sometimes boys kiss boys. And like, you know, it's fine. And it's what happens in life. Um, and it's okay. And then of course my child is like, so are you going to marry a woman? (laughs) like no I don't think so but I mean I don't know maybe like sexuality is fluid which I didn't go into with him but I was like I don't know who knows but I think like having those conversations and not like just being honest and upfront and being like you know age appropriate but still teaching your kids like to be tolerant and accepting of others um is something I really strive to through strive to do but then also taking away shame from them about like their body. Like we recently watched this comic about, you know, boys and girls and touching yourself and appropriate times to touch yourself. Cause he is getting older and he is getting to that age where, you know, he's exploring himself and like, by all means, feel free to touch yourself. Just don't do it in public. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? But I feel like we don't give our kids that space to understand the complexity of life. And like, I try my best to like give him that space to ask the questions. And like I said, to be as honest as I can with him about the questions that he's asking. Um, Cause I wish I would have had a little more of that growing up and didn't have shame associated with certain things that like I was experiencing or I felt or like I saw. Yeah. And I was like, that will be episode part two because there's still so many more things I want to get into. And yeah, body positivity and positivity around sexual experiences, teaching that I think is huge and conversations that I want to explore on the podcast. So 
maybe yeah. we'll we'll have to have you back on in the let me know. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And in the meantime, until you're back on, because I have so many more questions and so many more things I would love to talk to you about. So until then, how can whoever is listening hear more from you? Where is the best places to go to find you? And um yeah, where should we we direct? Yeah, so I'm actually Krista Janine everywhere. <laughs> um, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I'm not on Snapchat, but maybe I'll get back on there. When I am on there, I'm Krista Janine. Facebook. Um, and then my website is KristaJaneFit.com. So if you search Krista Janine, you will find me all places where people find people. Yeah, and I'll definitely have everything linked in the show notes, including the books that you referenced and the shows that you referenced. And Thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing your story. And I know that you'll be back soon. So thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share this episode with your friends. And you can help us grow by subscribing, rating, and reviewing a podcast for moms on your favorite podcasting platforms. I'd love to connect with you. Feel free to direct message me on Instagram at a podcast for moms or send me an email, a podcast for moms at gmail.com. I can't do this alone. Together, though, we are a movement of moms revolutionizing the world through radical motherhood.